Good evening and welcome to NCLCA Today, a podcast dedicated to educating individuals assisting college and university students along the road to academic success. I'm your host, Patricia Hartley. And I'm your host, Kelsey Fischel. Today, we sit down with guest Kiara Kumar from the University of Central Florida to discuss her work with academic success coaching and learning centers in the field of higher education. But before we sit with our guest, here is the latest update about the 36th annual NCLCA conference. After a year of navigating the challenges and tribulations of the online world and the success of NCLCA's first virtual conference, NCLCA has made the decision to forge ahead on bringing its members back together in person at the 36th annual NCLCA conference. The upcoming conference, built around the theme of forging academic success, will be held in person in Birmingham, Alabama from September 28th to October 1st. At this conference, you will have the opportunity to once again meet face-to-face with your Learning Center colleagues from around the country while participating in workshops, presentations, and roundtables on topics ranging from administration to marketing to funding. Registration is open now. Cost is $450 for members and $500 for non-members for attending in person for the entire event. For those who are unable to attend in person, virtual registration is $200. Conference registration is due by September 24th. Visit nclca.org for more information. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Now, let's meet today's guest. Today, we are sitting down with Kiara Kumar, Coordinator for Academic Coaching and Engagement, or ACE, and Access Programs at the University of Central Florida. Before her role at SARC, Kiara spent several years working in various positions and institutions in higher education. In her undergraduate career, she was a peer tutor who tutored social sciences, and as a graduate student, she served as a graduate assistant supporting student organizations while also working as a mentor for University of Michigan's football team. After completing her master's degree, she worked as an academic success coach at a local community college until she was offered an internship at the University of Central Florida. In this position, she's worked as an academic advisor for UCF's football team, and while Kiara has held various roles, she is excited to be in her current role at SARC, where she can support and guide a large group of students as they make their way through college. Welcome to the show, Kiara! Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and then, of course, how you began your career in higher education. Okay, um, Kelsey, that was a very thorough uh, explanation of my past positions that I've held. Uh, so, yes, I'm originally from Michigan. I started working as a peer tutor for social sciences when I was an undergrad at a small school called Saginaw Valley State University um, near my hometown in Michigan. Uh, I worked a lot with uh, subjects such as psychology, communications, um, history, things like that, um, where some students kind of struggled in their gen eds and that nature. I got into working, as you mentioned, more along the lines of student athlete support in that role, actually. So one day the basketball coach came in and said, I need some help with these two boys. They're on the bench for their grades. Um, They would have been dismissed probably that next semester if they had not gotten help from the tutoring center. Um, so I worked with them one-on-one, the coach was really satisfied with those results. And then honestly, since then has been bringing in the entire team and that, uh, we kind of expanded that to other sports teams as well while I was there. And that program continued after I left with that experience. Like you said, I became a mentor for university of Michigan's, uh, uh, football team again, kind of working on those same kind of 
academic skill set basics with them while working with through their academic classes, whatever they were in at that time. Uh, got that internship uh, at UCF, where I am now, but I was in athletics at that time working as an advisor for a caseload of defensive players, as well as something called a learning specialist, which is kind of a niche within that academic athletic support area within higher ed. Um, and the learning specialist tends to work more with students who may have learning disabilities or ADHD, dyslexia, low reading levels, low um, math levels, low reading comprehension levels, things of that nature. Uh, I like the Orlando area. I like Florida. I don't want to move back to Michigan. So I applied for another position within UCF and that's how I got hired into my current role as ACE coordinator, access coordinator. I also oversee our series of academic workshops we put on every semester. And I have also now taken on our outreach and marketing responsibilities for the department. Okay, Kiara, let them know. Let them know. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and you know, that's to me, that's also like what happens in, in the field of higher education is a lot of the times you'll realize the role that you're doing also really matches with another area in the department. And to me, really workshops and then uh, being like a coach really do go hand in hand because you see those students, you see the issues and the challenges that they face on a semester basis, and then you can kind of gauge your upcoming workshop series based off of that. So thank you so much about for telling us that, and then of course, how you got involved in higher education. Okay, so I want to uh, drill down a little more. So you mentioned um, having a role that was kind of unique to athletics, and I know that in the NCLCA community, we have a lot of members who come specifically out of athletics and members who have no experience in athletics. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about um, any differences that you've encountered working with students who are athletes versus students who are not athletes, or if there's just any kind of unique challenges that that group brings? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, one of the first things of working with student athletes, so my first school, Saginaw Valley State University, was a division two, and then University of Michigan and UCF are division one. So there are some differences even within that. But the, some similarities across these different divisions is that student athletes have a very scheduled and controlled life. Um, you know, they have mandatory practices. They're placed in mandatory classes, a certain amount of credits every semester. Uh, a lot of times there's mandatory tutoring or academic support. Um, then they have to go lift, lift weights if they didn't do that in the morning. Then they have team meetings and they have scheduled dinner times, scheduled lunch times. So everything about their lives are very controlled, which can sometimes make them resistant to any additional mandatory things that their coaches are telling them that they have to do. So a lot of the students I've worked with, you know, they don't want to come to their mentor session. They don't want to come to their tutor session. Um, it requires a little more push and pull um, of convincing them that the service is beneficial for them. A lot of that part comes from building rapport with them, getting to know them as a person outside of their sport, outside of their, um, you know, uh, label of student athlete, and being able to recognize them as a person who, you know, they have families, they have relationships, they have goals and aspirations, valuing them for uh, what they bring to the table beyond their athleticism for the school is really important in helping uh, build that good relationship with the students. So, um, but for some students, especially at the division one level, and even at the division two level, the students I've worked with, at least in basketball and football, which are, you know, high, high highlighted sports in institutions across the nation, especially at UCF, especially right. And University of, yeah. Michigan, you know, University of Michigan football is huge. It's something that overtakes the entire campus on game days, things like that. So there's a huge draw to being a student athlete, being a football player, 
Um, so they have all these additional pressures too. You know, my guys would be on TV. Um, they have these pressures beyond, uh, you know, passing their classes and things like that, that are really uh, high pressure situations for them. They have coaches down their neck. They have their teachers down their neck. So um, school, not necessarily maybe their number one interest, uh, but some for some folks it is their interest, especially University of Michigan, those really high performing schools. So some guys would go there for football and also for that degree. Um, but in some situations, the students are really more focused on, I'm trying to get to the NFL, I'm trying to get to the NBA, these are my goals, I don't have a plan B. So trying to work with those students, again, to form a plan B is something that I've spent a lot of time doing um, with my student athletes in particular. Thank you so much. Um, now, you told us a lot about, um, a little bit about your experience actually working with um, college athletes and obviously, you know, the difference. What I will say that about the 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 positive thing about being in the athletic field is that you really do come in with that team. You come in with that sense of like belonging essentially, because you have that, you know, community already sort of there. Um, but you, you're now in a different capacity. You work with more of the general population of students that are not necessarily student athletes. Um, and you work with the access program, which is a summer bridge program offered at UCF for selected incoming first year students. Can you tell us a little bit more about this program and then how is coaching involved with that summer bridge program? Sure, so the access program is actually starting in one week exactly, the 28th is the first day of the program. <laughs> it's a six week program that just like most other summer bridge programs, it's designed to bridge the gap between high school and college. Um, our students at UCF are selected by undergraduate admissions. Um, essentially they missed maybe one or two of the criteria to get into UCF but undergraduate admission believes that with some additional support throughout the summer semester, they will become successful college students. Um, so within that program, they're placed in two classes based on their high school transcripts um, and any you know, AP or IB classes they've taken. They have to pass both of those classes and they're they also required to attend a learning support component from our department and a peer mentor meeting from our, our multicultural services department on campus. They have some other things throughout the semester. Um, you know, if their grades are low, they might have to meet with me or attend additional coaching sessions, something like that throughout the semester. But the goal of all of this is really to introduce them to different services on UCF's campus so that they are successful. We have this wraparound support for them and that moving into the fall and the rest of their time here at UCF, they're familiar with the resources that we have on campus that can lead to students. Coaching is particularly involved through that learning component side, like I just mentioned before. So students with their gen ed course either have um, supplemental instruction through our department or academic coaching. So I have my coaches do um, co-facilitation over the summer bridge program, which is unique because for the fall and spring semesters, we have one-on-one -on -one sessions through ACE. But with the summer bridge program, they work with about, it's two coaches and they work with about um, 15 students per group and they meet once a week. So again, trying to provide those kind of basic academic skills that students may not have coming into college. Um, for example, a lot of students in high school may not have had to study before or manage their time because it was managed for them in a set schedule. So my coaches teach those types of really important things, um, collaborate with the students for these group meetings. And then uh, we have a 97 to 100% success rate for the program. So, you know, just hoping to continue to meet that goal like we have been every summer. 
nice success rate. Thank you for sharing. And it sounds like your students have a lot of support. It sounds like you have the Summer Bridge Program. You also have supplemental instruction that supports that Summer Bridge Program and also ACE Coaching that also helps out to bridge the, the gap, as you would say. Um, so, wow, that's a, that's a good amount of support, I feel like, for a, a Summer Bridge Program. Thank you for sharing that, Kiara. Yeah, thank you. And um, something else that I noticed that students have as an opportunity for support through your program is the ability to apply to a scholarship. Um, so I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about what makes students eligible for the scholarship, uh, but also how are you able to secure funding for an ongoing scholarship? Because I think that's something a lot of programs want to be able to offer, but they, they don't even know like where to start in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, our scholarship is a $500 scholarship, um, and it is acquired through our Student Government Association. So every semester, this is like a semesterly thing that we have to essentially re-up every semester, but I go and pitch the program to them, the benefits of the program, um, how much money I'm requesting for how many scholarships, and then they make a decision based on the program pitches. Um, but the interesting thing that I think I found about funding and scholarships is that there's, um, you know, there's money out there and sometimes it's just students or people in general are not looking for it or don't know where to find it. Um, because with my scholarship, sometimes I'll have six scholarships available per semester and I'll only get three or four applicants. So that's something that I've tried, been trying to work on. Um, you know, we may serve 200 to 300 students a semester, but for some reason, a very small percentage of them are interested in the scholarship or apply for it. So that's something that I'm trying to figure out about how to make this money more um, apparent to students. But the criteria for that is they need to attend three coaching sessions per semester, meet with their advisor once, meet with their professor once for a progress report, um, attend one campus activity. So that could be something like an academic workshop or something through an organization on campus that they're interested in. And then one additional thing of any of the, the four things I just listed before that. Um, at the end of all that, they have to write a one to two page double-spaced essay explaining why this process was beneficial to them and why the different resources were beneficial to them as well. So kind of similar to the access program, the goal is to introduce students to a lot of different academic supports on campus and more importantly, get them familiar with accessing them. So students may know that their advisor is there, they may know that their faculty member is their faculty member, but they may not be comfortable speaking to them in a one-on-one -on -one situation or requesting an appointment with them or attending an appointment with them. So one of the goals of the scholarship is to make that process a little more comfortable for them so that students feel comfortable using these resources in the future. I like that. And I like the fact that you mentioned that um, people sometimes just don't know where to find the money. So I think that's a lot of the time it, you know, we don't know where to find the fund or the, or the money. And one of the best resources is Student Government Association. Y'all have no idea um, how many different areas they support and that includes like education and there's like of course homecoming and of course there's like you know um accessibility services but they have all of these different goals that they also want to achieve um and accomplish as well and that includes um giving away different scholarships and also supporting different departments as well so i like that thank you Kiara. Um, in your various roles you served as both an academic advisor and as an academic success coach how would you differentiate the role of the advisor from that of the success coach? And then what do you think academic success coaching brings to the student experience that's unique? 
So I don't want to make a necessarily general statement, but from my experience, academic advising is more prescriptive, um, especially working in, in my time in an advisor following NCAA policies and guidelines, um, you know, institutional policies and guidelines. So there's a certain amount of things that need to happen or classes that need to be taken or, um, you know, in a certain order within a degree program which makes the nature of advising more prescriptive because the student kind of has to do X, Y, and Z in order to get to that next class, that next year, their uh, graduation, et cetera. Academic coaching is a more collaborative experience. There isn't necessarily a defined um, specific outcome that needs to happen per session like that. Uh, I, in my experience, is working one-on-one -on -one with students as a coach slash mentor type role. Uh, as well as training my current coaching staff. It is really collaborative. We base it on the students' needs, try to figure out what that need is, build rapport with them, um, assess their current uh, study skills, academic skill set, and kind of see where we can help fill in gaps with them. Even when in my coaching session, the goal of the session is for students to leave uh, with at least one new learning strategy that they can immediately implement that's going to make a difference in their academics. So it's something that can be really immediately beneficial to students in that way. Can I also just say this is that people are paying for coaching, like not even thinking about higher ed and like anything as it relates to your coaching and, you know, your position, but individuals who work in fields as professionals are paying for coaching. So and when I think of coaching, honestly, I see it as more of a unique opportunity for students to experience that on a one-on-one -on -one level at a free you know, environment where it's actually going to be free before they actually have to pay for it. Because once you get out in the real world, you realize, oh my goodness, like this coaching stuff is serious on another level. Mm -hmm. So I think that coaching is very beneficial. Okay, so jumping off that, so we know that coaching is great for students and we know that they're going to benefit from it. But there are some, you know, institutions that maybe haven't built implement a program for coaching yet or just kind of getting started. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the process and coaching of selecting coaches and training coaches and how you kind of um, get that process going. And then if you have any key recommendations from there for an institution that is looking to develop their coaching program. Yeah, so hiring is one of my actually favorite parts of my current role. I really love the process of putting together a solid team, um, you know, trying to find folks who will get along well and serve the students well and be good coaches. So the main thing that I look for in hiring on applications is somebody who has had some prior tutoring experience, mentoring experience, something that indicates that they have some experience in teaching skills. I have so many applicants who justify, you know, I have a section on the application that says, what makes you think you'd be good for this position? And a lot of students say, well, I'm a good student, therefore I would be a good coach. But we, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you have good time management skills, study skills, that doesn't mean that you have the ability to teach those time management skills or study skills or whatever that means. So that's really the crucial difference in um, figuring out who could be, potentially be a good coach versus who is just a good student, which we, of course, tell you that yourself. Um, so in terms of training, we are CRLA level two certified. Um, and I will say overall, my feelings about training and hiring is that if you do a lot of the hard work at the start, focus heavily on hiring, focus heavily on training at the beginning, 
that will save you a lot of headache and stress for the rest of the program. If you make strong hiring decisions, if you vet your candidates properly, if you um, conduct thorough, effective, impactful trainings uh, at the beginning when they're onboarding, that will save so much time and headache future and in the future. So back to our training, like I said, we are CRLA level two certified. So that means we have to meet a certain um, level of training hours, uh, topics of training, things of that nature. So we do about 16 to 18 hours of training at the start of the semester, which sounds like a lot because it is a lot, but like I said, saves us a lot of headache down the road. Um, but we make sure that training is really engaging for our coaches. So just like we tell our coaches that um, the session should be student-led, that's how I model my training. So my training is coach-led. So we ask a lot of questions. My GA and I put it together. She does a great job helping with the agenda. She has a really good skill set um, in terms of her, what she brings to the table. She's in the, uh, the counseling program at UCF as a graduate student. So she brings a lot of her counseling techniques, which we implement into the coaching program. So, you know, a lot of reflection, uh, strengths-based, we use inclusive communication, inclusive language. We believe that the student has all the answers. They know what they need and what they don't need. And it's really the coach's responsibility to kind of pull that out of them through some good assessment questions and rapport building. Um, in our training, we do things like mock sessions, we do role plays, we give them an opportunity to explicitly say how they're gonna start their introductions. We review each of the different topics that we can cover in coaching, whether that be time management, study skills, test-taking, note-taking. We have, I would say, probably 70 or 80 different worksheets between all the topics. We review every single worksheet so the coaches get more comfortable knowing what uh, worksheets they could use in a session with a student. Um, and, they feel based on uh, a survey that I give my coaches at the end of training, the coaches feel like this is consistently an impactful training for them and they feel prepared to do their jobs moving forward. I think trainings are definitely necessary, especially in the virtual environment, you know, um, definitely in the in-person environment as well. It doesn't um, make it any less important, um, but in the virtual environment, I find it to be a lot more room for error because you're not as, um, visible to them like in person but a training is very important and you made a good point of front loading really a, most of the work prior to them even starting their job um, because really that process is is what helps to make it a lot smoother throughout the semester mm -hmm. and yeah. in terms of um, folks who are interested in starting a coaching program I would recommend just doing some benchmarking research to see what's out there. A lot of the things from SARC, our department, are online already. The structure of our program is online. A lot of our workshops, uh, worksheets are online. So there's plenty of information out there about what institutions are currently doing for their coaching programs. You brought, you mentioned that, and I was mentioning this to Kelsey as well, but we did a benchmarking whenever we were doing like one-on-one. -on -one. Um, uh, when I was working at the University of Central Florida, we were onboarding a one-on-one -on -one program. So we did some benchmarking for it. And there was an institution that said that students could not even, if a, if a student wanted to apply for a job to be a peer tutor, they had to be a coach first. And once they became a coach for like a semester, then they could transition into the role potentially of being either a tutor or even like an SI leader. So I thought that that was a very um, I thought that was a very good approach, actually. I didn't think that that was bad at all. I don't think everyone needs that that structure at the institution. But, you know, think about the layered approach that it that it has for a student to have that coaching experience, then become a tutor and then be able to tutor and then apply all of that coaching experience within their tutoring uh, uh, session. So, And that trajectory makes sense to me because that's kind of how students 
would learn too, right? So they would learn their academic skill set first. They would need to have their study skills down, their test-taking skills down before they, they can effectively learn the content. Makes so much sense. Yes! Um, and I wanted to follow up too, because it sounds like, so it sounds like you have a model, right? That your coaches are peers, right? It's peer like student coaches. So my institution, our coaching team, they're all professional staff. So it's all like full-time, like, you know, non-student, like adults that are serving the students. So what do you think um, if, if a university was kind of grappling with like, well, do I want to do full-on, you know, full-time positions? Do I want to have students? What would be some of the unique benefits that having a peer coaching team be that would be something that you think an institution should consider? Yeah, I would. Um, this is definitely one of the debates in coaching now um, as, you know, should we have professional coaches or should we have peer coaches? I've seen institutions do some of each, um, but I personally prefer the peer coach. The student um, as a peer has literally gone through UCF in that same way. They're familiar with the resources, how to access it from the student side. And I think especially in academics in college, everybody else supporting students is a professional staff member. So their faculty is a professional staff member, their advisor is a professional staff member. Uh, most other resources academically that they will use will not be a peer-to-peer -peer interaction. But as we know, there's tons of benefits of peer-to-peer -peer interactions. They are just going to naturally feel more comfortable with somebody who's a peer and will be a less intimidating interaction overall. Um, I use graduate students. So about half my staff each semester is graduate students. And I think that's also a, a, a nice way to kind of, you know, those folks are on their way to becoming professionals. They might be a bit more organized than undergrad students. They might be a bit more skilled with their own time management skills, things like that. Um, I, I found my graduate coaches to be really effective and with it coaches. I love my undergraduate coaches too, but they're also still figuring things out as they're moving through school. So um, I would recommend a mix of both undergraduates and graduate students for coaches because this way we can effectively serve our own graduate students. We generally pair UCF graduate students who request a coaching appointment with one of my graduate coaches. I like that. And I like the fact that, yes, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, but I feel like, yes, graduate students bring a different level of maturity, um, but then also just a different skill, just because they've already completed that undergraduate experience. And I think a good mix of both is also great, especially if you're dealing with maybe a higher level student who maybe is at that senior level, and it really is about managing their time. It's not, you know, maybe they got that internship, but then on top of that, they're working there work study job and then on top of that they also are trying to work at another side job on the side and be a full-time student while trying to maintain a scholarship right like mm -hmm. we have students that are trying to do that and it's not that they can't it's just that they are not sure what that looks like now that so many things have kind of piled on their plate so I think coaching is such a great program and thank you so much again Kiara for sharing about your program and we want to give you an opportunity to maybe um, share any last minute words that you might want to say about coaching um, before we wrap up. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is definitely a buzzword in higher ed and Patricia, like you were saying, just in general, right? Um, so for anybody who is overseeing a coaching program or something of that nature, I think one of the biggest challenges will be to get the campus to understand what coaching is. So uh, within UCF, we have probably six different departments that are offering some type of coaching the thing that differentiates my program is that it's academic specific. So there's a lot of like life coaches, coaches who will help students get connected to campus 
uh, opportunities, uh, get them familiar with community services, whatever that may look like. So it'll be important to spend some time educating the community and the campus about what coaching is so that students feel comfortable knowing what it is. Um, and again, I'm a firm believer in this service. Um, one of the things that my experience has taught me with my work with students, especially these higher risk students who I've frequently found within um, my student athlete experience is that K-12 systems prepare students differently for college and some of them um, uh, leave them unprepared for college. And so that's really where coaching can come in is helping to teach and hone those important academic skills that professors really just don't have the time to teach in a class. Um, and so once the students have these crucial skills down, which are constantly evolving, you know, I remember as a student trying out different methods of note-taking, trying out different time management systems, working on my study skills, things like that, um, that evolved over the course of my undergraduate career. And then also looked at a little bit different once I was a graduate student. So coaches can really help students get this stuff down pat so that when they are trying to learn the content of a course, it's just going to sink in more effectively for them. And professionals as well, because I, I have to just compliment um, Kiara, because Kiara did a coaching appointment actually with me um, as well. And we were able to just kind of talk through some things and some methods and, and some techniques that I could use in order to be uh, more efficient in the virtual environment. So, you know, it's not just students who can benefit, you know, when you have colleagues who are in the coaching program, don't feel free to tap their arm and be like, sis, help me out just a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, utilize your resources, higher ed professionals. Um, coaching is something that can be very expensive. And so if it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you know, let me just kind of see where I am. Utilize your resources first. That's right there. They're near you. Um, prior to stepping out into that coaching field to to get an actual coach. And, um, Kelsey, over to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Kara, for sharing all of this information and for being on our show um, and sharing all this wonderful insight on coaching. I think that's something that so many people want to learn more about and I think you're going to find very valuable. Um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. Thank you. And now on to some NCLCA announcements with Patricia. And do not miss our upcoming webinars on Friday, August the 13th. Join Leonard Geddes for Escaping Academic Transition Traps, Navigating Colleges, Hidden Gaps, and Troublesome Traps. Hello, somebody. Registration for the 36th annual NCLCA conference is now open. Visit nclca.org to learn more and to register. And NCLCA is pleased to be a founding participant of the Council of Learning Assistance and Development Education Associations. And if you're looking to certify your center, visit our website at nclca.org slash events for more information. Thank you for tuning in to NCLCA today. And thank you, Kiara, for being with us. And I'm your host, Patricia Hartley. And I'm your host, Kelsey Pichelle. Do not forget to visit nclca.org for more information and to participate in our forums, webinars, and to listen to previous podcasts at nclca.org slash podcasts. NCLCA Today can also be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. That concludes our NCLCA Today episode number 11.